Good morning. Good morning, church. It's wonderful to be with you this morning as we mark the beginning of Holy Week. Uh, my name's Andrea. I'm one of the pastors here at Christ City. Just want to, again, welcome you to our service, to our online stream, if that's where you are. Um, yeah, it's a great morning. Um, okay, so confession. Maybe not confession, maybe just like a fun fact. We're going to call it a fun fact. Fun fact. I am a sucker for happy movies and happy movies only. Okay, I love like a feel-good movie that has a feel-good ending. Ridiculous as that may be, that's what I want to watch. Predictable though highly unrealistic rom-com, give it to me. Award-winning docu-film drama that explores some kind of complicated but very relevant topic, mm. pass. Hard pass. Horror films, no, no, never. Movies where like everything goes wrong, like, like Meet the Parents. I hate that movie. Garbage. Garbage. I cannot. No. Uh, my husband Drew and I have very different movie preferences. I get that mine's pretty specific. Um, Drew loves a like a, we'll say a darker movie, right? Like he really likes a complicated, smart film that is based in reality. Um, now we've been watching movies together for quite some time now. And I think he still holds out hope that I'm going to want to watch something with him that he wants to watch. Okay, case in point. So a few years ago, a movie came out. It was called Train to Busan, okay? And Drew wanted me to watch it with him because he was like, I enjoy watching movies with you. He wanted me to watch it with him. So he was like, okay, this movie, it's like action-y, kind of. He's like, it's set in South Korea, okay? And it's like a father-daughter situation thing. And I was like, okay, well, like, what's it about? <laughs> he goes, he's like, well, this father and the daughter, they have a fraught relationship, strike one. <laughs> so he's taking her to visit her mother who lives in Busan. And they're, so they're on the train, train to Busan. But while they're traveling on the train to Busan, Someone on the train gets sick, and they all realize that it's a virus that turns people into zombies. <laughs> Strike two. <laughs> and then they spend the rest of the movie trying not to get infected with said virus, and then dealing with the, like, the morality and the ethics of like, other non-infected people, but then their own survival while they're all trapped on a train. Like, strike a million. I just, I think he said something like, well, it has really great reviews, you know? He's like, I think it has great reviews, but actually, I do think it kind of ends kind of bleak. <laughs> um, do you know me at all? Like, you don't know me at all. Um, why would you ever, ever think I'd watch this movie? Needless to say, he watched that one by himself and did confirm that it was bleak. You were, like, sad afterwards, yeah? Oh, yeah, okay. <laughs> We learned a lesson, and <laughs> I don't want to watch that. I want to watch everything being great all the time, all the time. I want sitcom problems, and that's it, right? No, I get that maybe my movie tastes are a little naive. Uh, I admit it. Um, I think at best they, like, lean into the idealistic side of me. Um, but I just don't want to watch something that 
just reminds me that the world can be a terrible place. I don't want to do that. Like, I'm watching a movie to escape that reality, right? Like, a movie for me is this, like, metaphorical sandbox that I can just stick my head in and forget whatever else is going on in the world for a couple of hours. That's what I want it to be. Now, look, I know, and confess here, I know that is not the healthiest thing. Um, I've got to be on guard against my tendency to just, like, numb out with a movie a lot. Um, but it can be very brutal out here, right? Look, I, we've come into Holy Week, and I have to confess to you that um, that's how I have felt this week. Um, I love Easter. <laughs> I love preparing to celebrate together, and I've been loving hearing progress about the choir, and we're getting ready to, like, just, you know, eat all the things and shove all the caramel eggs in my mouth. Like, I'm just ready, right? I love that. But we're not there yet. It's a hard spot. So this is Holy Week. As we've come to the text, there's just a lot that we have to get through before the resurrection. And I don't like it. I don't like it. I feel like I've, I've been, like, putting off dealing with this passage. Um, I feel like I've just, even to be quite frank, held this sermon at a distance this week. Um, because I just, I don't want to carry it. I don't want to carry the weight of this text's injustice and violence. Um, and this has only been compounded, I think, by the events this week in Nashville. Um, it continues to be just a very confusing place, a lot of conflicts um, to be so used to hearing about mass shootings, um, even involving children, that I can just like move along regularly. Like, what in the world? What is that? Um, it is wild to me that like our bodies have have to make these decisions about what we process and what we don't process and how to process whatever it is that we're deciding to prioritize because there's just too many things to process over and over again. And I just, this week, I, all I've wanted to do, I just, I want to look away from the horror and the terror of kids and educators not making it home from school. School! School! And I want to look away from this country's idolatry of guns and this country's tendency to scapegoat marginalized people across the board, including the queer community, as we have seen very clearly this week. Turn that noise off. Turn it off. Just like, give me the remote. Let me bury my head in the sand of my phone or food or work or any measure of privilege that I have at my disposal. I just don't, I don't want to be here. And so I'm, I'm confessing that to you this morning. This is how I'm coming in to today. I don't want to be here. Not with you. I want to be here with you, but I don't want to be here. But we are here. We are here. We have come to the beginning of Holy Week, carrying this week with us and this week's events with us in our bodies. We don't leave it at the door. And as much as I haven't known what to do with all of my feelings, and I still don't know what to do, um, I, I do want to just clearly encourage you to pursue health in the ways that you can this week as you continue to sit with and process this week. I want to encourage us, myself included, to lean just upon the mercy of God um, as we look up from our little sandboxes. In Holy Week, this is Holy Week, we are invited to understand more deeply the mysterious relationship between death and resurrection. 
how in Jesus humanity and divinity can somehow reconcile together. And after this week's events, I feel like that just feels all the more relevant, right? And it certainly feels all the more a mystery. So many more questions than, than answers. Today is Palm Sunday. It's the day in the Christian liturgical calendar when we commemorate Jesus' triumphal entry into Jerusalem. It's the first day of Holy Week each year. It's the last week of Lent, uh, which began on Ash Wednesday in February. And often the text that's read and preached on Palm Sunday is the narrative that we actually covered at the beginning of the year. Um, we began this last section of Mark uh, back in January, and so we covered this section. It's when the people, they lay their palm branches and they lay their cloaks out as Jesus rides into town on a donkey, and they shout, Hosanna, which is a cry for help, right? It's a, a saving cry, save us, help us. And they recognize, they're recognizing Jesus as the one who is going to do the saving, the one who's going to do the helping. So Palm Sunday is this day when the church celebrates and remembers the kingship of Jesus, that Jesus is the king, that he is the long-awaited one that we have just been waiting for and praying for to save and to liberate and to rescue and to rule. I like Palm Sunday. I like Palm Sunday. I've loved seeing your palm branches this morning. What a blessing. Palms. Ugh. Loved seeing those palm branches this morning. I've loved um, singing about Jesus, the king with you. I love the reminder of Jesus' identity as king on this day. Palm Sunday. Um, you may or may not know that in some Christian traditions, um, like more high church liturgical tr traditions, today is also known as Passion Sunday. Okay, so our text today is part of the gospel narrative that's known as the Passion. And it comes from the Latin word passio, which means suffering. Okay, so Passion Sunday is a day to remember the start of Jesus' journey to the cross in Jerusalem. This is what he has the scripture says, turn his face towards. He's turned his posture towards, um, towards Jerusalem and the cross as we've seen in our journey through Mark. So Passion Sunday is a day to reflect upon the suffering of Jesus, even the suffering that precedes the crucifixion. Now, some churches combine these two days into one. The palms and the passion are linked together as this like intentional reminder of the relationship between the death and the resurrection of Jesus, all held up in his kingship. Palm and Passion Sunday. I, I think that um, many of us are deeply uncomfortable with the passion side of the story. I mean, I've, I am. I've said, I think, as much already this morning. I think there's this temptation. There's this tendency to, like, skip this part, right? To convince ourselves that the way to resurrection, to life, that somehow it can just avoid all the hard parts. It can avoid death, but it doesn't. And the passion, this part of the story reminds us that the way to life passes through death, that resurrection is side by side. It's just so uncomfortably close to death. And when we skip over that part of the story, it can lead to a faith that tries to offer resurrection hope but that ultimately is dismissive of reality because it detaches resurrection from death. Yes, the resurrection is a lens through which we view our difficult reality. Praise God. But 
The passion story is the lens through which we view the resurrection. So we celebrate Jesus as king on Palm Sunday, yes, but Jesus is king on Passion Sunday too. And we can't skip over it as much as we would want to. So our text today is, again, is not the traditional like Palm Sunday narrative. We're nearing the end of Mark. Uh, we started the Gospel of Mark last year, and we're going to finish it. We're going to finish it. I know some of you have been doubtful. We're going to finish it. It's going to be next week. We're going to finish the Gospel of Mark together next week on Easter Sunday. Um, like I mentioned before, Jesus' entry into Jerusalem was our text the first Sunday back in January that we were in Mark. And since then, we've covered four chapters of Mark. Okay, So since then, we've seen Jesus' growing conflict with the religious leaders. We've seen him clear the temple and just further infuriate them. He's been anointed by the unnamed woman at Bethany, and he's predicted his own death. He has shared a Passover meal with his disciples. He's instituted what is commonly referred to now as communion or the Lord's Supper, which we will take together later this morning. We've seen Jesus feel feelings. We've seen Jesus pray prayers in the Garden of Gethsemane before he's confronted and before he's arrested. We've watched the disciples scatter and just abandon him. Last week, we read about the first, two, the first of the two trials that Jesus faces in Mark's gospel in the Passion story. So last week was the trial with the religious leaders in Jerusalem. So this first trial with the high priest, it's the high priest, the chief priest, the elders, and the scribe. They describe them as the whole council, the whole council of religious leaders. This trial is a sham. So these leaders form a crowd. They arrest Jesus at night while he's praying even though they had interactions with him every day, like during the day in the temple publicly, um, it was very clearly a biased trial. Um, we can remember that the conflicts Jesus had with these leaders throughout Mark and frustrating them further just with each of these interactions. Mark makes it clear in chapter 14 that the council was looking for testimony against Jesus so that they could get him killed by the state, but they couldn't get any. <laughs> But they condemn him anyway. Um, so this is where our text begins today. After this, uh, this first trial, we begin today in chapter 15. This is chapter 15, verse 1. As soon as it was morning, the chief priests held a consultation with the elders and the scribes and the whole council. They bound Jesus, led him away, and handed him, handed him over to Pilate. And Pilate asked him, Are you the king of the Jews? He answered him, you say so. Then the chief priest accused him of many things. And Pilate asked him again, have you no answer? See how many charges they bring against you. But Jesus made no further reply, so that Pilate was amazed. So after this like secret, illegitimate nighttime trial and condemnation of Jesus by the religious leaders, they actually have to wait. They did it overnight. They have to wait until the morning to bring charges to Pilate because they did this in secrecy overnight. So Pastor Matthew talked about this last week, that the trial was a sham, that it violated many Jewish laws, um, particularly during this, this time of celebration and festival. These religious leaders used all the power that they had, which was a lot, honestly, even in the eyes of the Roman state, to bring Jesus down. 
So they go as far as they can in condemning him, but then they need to hand it over to someone with the next level of power to actually do the sentencing, okay? So Pilate was a Roman state-appointed governor in the, um, in the territory of Judea, which is the Roman territory this is all happening in. So while the religious leaders operated as like the, the chief legislative body in the community, they did not have the power of the state to sentence anyone to death, which is why they appeal to Pilate, who does have that power. He has the full backing of Rome. I think it's really ironic that the group of people who had just really good reason to fear a Roman shutdown of any like revolution happening in their territory, territory are now using that exact threat as a means to get the state to put Jesus to death. That's wild which is exactly what we see the council do in verse one. They hand Jesus over to Pilate. It's interesting that there's um, a parallel between these two trials. One sort of religious, one is state, but in both, there is only one question that's asked of Jesus that he actually replies to. And it's about his identity as the Messiah or the saving one, the king, the son of God. So in the first trial, the high priest asked Jesus, are you the Messiah? Are you the son of the blessed one? And then in the second one, Pilate asks, are you the king of the Jews? Now Jesus responds with a foundational yes to both, which might be surprising considering he spent most of the gospel of Mark directing others to keep his identity a secret, if you might remember. But here... Jesus is revealed and reveals himself as the son of God, as the Messiah, as the promised one, the king. He's revealed here in some of his lowest moments, arguably lowest. It's not when he's healing people. It's not when he's like preaching to crowds that are following him and are just there to just hang on his teachings. It's not when he's being attacked by the religious leaders. It's here during two unjust, imbalanced trials meant to shame and condemn him. Here is where he makes his identity plain. And we'll see this happen again in the rest of the Passion story this week too. Jesus as king will be lifted high, but on a cross. Jesus's kingly platform will be a cross. And then later, one of the soldiers who's standing guard by the cross will utter the proclamation, surely this man was the son of God. And he will utter it at the moment of Jesus's death, literally his very lowest point. This is what we're left to grapple with today on Palm and Passion Sunday. Jesus is king, yes. He is king when he enters triumphantly, and Jesus is king in these other moments, too. But it's in these moments that it's much harder to identify with him as such, right? We don't want to identify with this Jesus. This Jesus, the one who is seemingly powerless, the Jesus who is shamed, the Jesus who is unfairly tried with the system against him at every turn, the Jesus who is silent by choice, the Jesus who is bearing the weight of injustice in and upon his body. 
No, I, I think that we're much more like Peter, who Mark drops into this narrative right in between these two trials. There's this little narrative about Peter. It's a well-known part of Peter's story. So after defiantly telling Jesus earlier that he would never betray him, Peter flees when Jesus is arrested. So he follows Jesus from a distance because he wants to see what happens. But then when he's recognized by a girl in the high priest's courtyard, he denies Jesus once, twice, three times before the rooster crows. This is not the Jesus that he wants to identify with. And I don't think it's the Jesus that we want to identify with either. No one in this story, I think, knows quite like which category of expectation to put Jesus in. And it just feels more confusing in the passion story. So we've learned about how Jesus rejected the expectation of the Jewish crowds that gathered around him throughout Mark to be healed and listen to what he taught. They were expecting a political savior, right? They were expecting somebody to come in and with like an army and bring the hammer down upon the Roman Empire and liberate Israel from its oppression. That's what they were expecting. And Jesus did not accept that several times. The religious leaders didn't know what to do with them. They knew it was a threat but they didn't really know what to expect out of him. They surprised him, and he surprised them and frustrated them at each turn. Pilate didn't exactly see him as a threat, but Pilate swayed with the crowd who wanted an actual revolutionary, Barabbas, that we also heard in our scripture this morning. Barabbas, who was a real, actual threat to Rome as a revolutionary, an insurrectionist with a violent history, to be released instead of Jesus. And Pilate goes along with this because the crowd does. I think the question, one of the questions for us certainly, for us to consider is as we come to Holy Week, as we come to Palm and Passion Sunday, what are we expecting of Jesus? What are we expecting of Jesus? Again, I'm just so looking forward to celebrating the resurrection with you next week. Like so, so much. There's going to be a choir, there's going to be flowers, there's going to be pastels, and we're just going to celebrate life, right? Life colors. There's going to be life colors. We are going to celebrate life. Next week, we get to celebrate the win. And honestly, I'm just really ready for, like, the relief of being able to stop thinking about and stop talking about this hard part of the story, like the violence part and the death part, and the all-too-real part, right? That's where we are. There's like no mystery in the win. Next week, we get to celebrate the winning side. No mystery about that. We like being on the winning side. I like to be on the winning side. Next week, we get to like breathe this collective sigh of relief that there's an empty cross, that there's an empty tomb. Victory is ours next week. And that is true. It is true. And I really am looking forward to it. And first, we walk through Holy Week. We can't look away from it. We can't call Jesus King next week and not today. But where where is the victory of this King Jesus? The one that we remember today. 
A friend this week uh, pointed me towards author Kate Bowler, and particularly the way that she talks about the season of Lent. So Kate Bowler writes that she writes at this intersection of like loss and struggle and faith and real life, real stuff. So I was poking around on her website a little bit, and I came across some of her thoughts on Lent and like the way it bleeds into Holy Week. This is what she writes. To observe Lent is to prepare for loss. We will hear in scripture the story of a man, once active and strong enough to stride the length of the Holy Land, suddenly deprived of his freedom and his friends, and now rejected and despised, esteemed not. We embark on a walk for the next six weeks that will end on Golgotha, where an innocent man in the midst of his agony will cry because he believes his father has forgotten him. In one of her other books, she talks about her need for Lent, this need for a holy space to see and to acknowledge the hard things in herself and in the world. I think that our discomfort with loss and with grief and with lament just make our discomfort with the passion story of Jesus all the more telling. We want to look away. Or better yet, we want to see Jesus rescued. We want to see Jesus spared. Right? We want to see Pilate do the right thing. We want to see all these religious leaders recognize their fault and repent. We want to see the disciples stick around. We want to see Jesus, like, slip away while Simon of Cyrene carries his cross up the hill. Like, we want to see the movie cut to where Jesus, like, jumps on a waiting boat and sails away to retire quietly by the sea. That's what we want to see, right? It sounds ridiculous, but that's what we want. But none of this happens on Holy Week. It doesn't go down that way. None of it happens today on Palm and Passion Sunday. But we need today. We need Lent, and we need Holy Week, and we need Passion Sunday. It seems counterintuitive, maybe, but perhaps King Jesus who suffers is actually the place where we relate to Jesus the most. When we, like, pull our heads out of the sand, perhaps it's, it's, we look around and we recognize that this is what we all need. We need to know that the one who is resurrected is also the one who is with us, carrying what we carry. We need to know that the power of the resurrection is not just for someone who doesn't know what loss is, what betrayal is, what humiliation is, what hardship, what suffering, what death look like but that the power of the resurrection makes itself plain in the person of Jesus who does, in fact, know what all of that is like because he walked through it. We need to know the Jesus that's written about in Hebrews, the one that is described as the pioneer of our faith, the pioneer, the one who goes first, the one who goes before the one who for the sake of the joy that was set before him endured the cross, the one who endured shame and hostility and has now taken his seat at the right hand of God after walking through those things. We need to know that this is the king that we are called to follow and that he is worthily deserving of that title. 
the gospel, the life of faith, the kingdom of God and its king, Jesus, do not turn away from the hard things. Thank you, God. Jesus puts himself smack in the middle of it. This week reminds us that Jesus, the son of God and the son of man, the divine one, the human one, the one that we celebrate at Advent and we call Emmanuel, which means God with us. This is the king. This is the one that we call king. Jesus is still king on weeks like this one, even though I do not understand that. He is. Jesus is still king when worldly power seemingly wins. Jesus is still king when he's being humiliated, when he's being misrepresented, when he is being literally killed and kicked out of all the places of belonging. He is still the king. And Jesus doesn't operate in this kingdom power that oppresses or crushes. He doesn't like, he doesn't wield the kind of power that demands fear. But as king, he operates in invitational, in healing, in liberating, in resurrecting power. The kind of power that, as I was reminded by a friend this week, turns weapons into plowshares, that takes instruments meant for harm and turns them into instruments that cultivate life. This is the kind of power of King Jesus. And he invites us to walk in that power too. So it's in this power that we celebrate Passion Sunday. And it's this power that we celebrate on Easter Sunday. And it's in this power that we call upon King Jesus. Friends, how, how do you see King Jesus this morning? on this Palm and Passion Sunday? How are you experiencing him? Where might Jesus be inviting you to recognize his power and his rule even in the hardest and the darkest and the lowest places in your life and in the world? Maybe Jesus is simply wanting to remind you today that he is with you in whatever it is that you're walking through. As we continue to walk towards Easter this holy week, and we hold celebration and grief together in tandems like we hold palms and the passion today, my prayer for us is that we might experience Jesus as king, that we might experience Jesus as the one who goes first, that we might experience Jesus as the one who rules in kingdom power, that we might experience Jesus as the one who is with us even now. Would you pray with me?